Today's text is a, uh, is a personal one for me. Um, sorry, I realize I was, I apologize, Miss Karen. It's a little tardy on getting that to you. Today's text is a personal one to me um, because of the words of verse 2. Matthew 8 and 2 became my rallying cry in the season in which my father was battling cancer. Um, I can't tell you the number of times I prayed the words of verse 2 of Matthew 8. Lord, if you're willing, you can make my daddy clean. It was, um, I guess I, I approached it with the sense that, Lord, I don't want to look back when my dad is gone and think, Lord, I wish I would have prayed, fasted with more fervency and intensity and greater faith. And so continually it just came to that text, Matthew 8 and 2, Lord, if you are willing, you can make him clean. Unfortunately for me, my father didn't hear the words of verse 3 on this earth. I'm willing to be clean. However, I think that it also reminds us that there's hope beyond this world and this life. There has to be something more that we are hoping for. And yet today's text, as it comes to us, I think there's many times where we hear about these miracles of Jesus and think, well, what's the big deal? Why doesn't he do more of that now? Why doesn't he heal now? Why doesn't he hear and answer our prayers more now? Why are we not seeing more of this? There's times when I think that we struggle of just wondering, like, well, the miracles are great, but, like, why are they even, in, like, that important? And then I think there's this sense of which maybe we share the stories with our kids, and we want to tell them about how great Jesus is, but we wonder, even as we hear the stories of miracles, maybe there should be something more. Author and preacher Tim Keller wrestles with this text and asks some of those questions. And I want to continue maybe wrestling with that. Asking today some of those very questions. And I think today that the, the title of the sermon is The Miracles Mean More. And why there's, there's more than what you've originally believed when it comes to this text of Matthew 8, 1-17. through 17. Today's big idea to lay before you is this. The miracles, they serve as revelation, restoration, and redemption. You see, the miracles serve as revelation of Jesus' true identity. They also serve to display His path of restoration. And then they show us how Christ will ultimately redeem us. So let's look today at this idea of the miracles mean more. Walking with this truth, the miracles are revelation of Jesus' true identity. The miracles serve as revelation of Jesus' true identity. In Matthew chapter 8, Verses 1 through 15, you're going to hear three specific miracles. One is a man who has leprosy. The second is the servant of the centurion who is paralyzed and lying lame, suffering terribly. And the third is maybe one that doesn't maybe seem to fit with the others. It's Peter's mother-in-law as she's lying sick in the bed with a fever. And then he's going to finish with a, a culmination of a flurry of so many miracles, right, that he can't even recall or recount them all to us, just saying that many people were healed. But I think in the midst of this, as it reveals Jesus' identity, it shows to us who Jesus is and that he is indeed God and has the power to heal. Look at me if you would begin in verse 1 of Matthew 8. When Jesus came down from the mountain, remember, he's just finished that great sermon on the mount, Matthew 5 through 7. We spent the last couple of months walking through Jesus' sermon, hearing Christ preach unto us. 
It says, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Further, verse 2 of Matthew 8 records, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying these words, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Leprosy refers to a variety of skin diseases, some of which were very contagious. But it's not only the disease that's debilitating, it's the fact that it makes you ceremonially unclean. Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 to 46, record to us that the person that was unclean because of this leprous skin disease had to live separate from everyone else. And when they did approach everyone, they had to repeat this mantra, unclean, unclean. Why? Because the disease was so contagious that they, even in that society, according to God's word, were practicing something we struggle with, social distancing. Yeah. And here is Jesus coming in and watch what Jesus does. It's amazing in the midst of this, right? I mean, Jesus is breaking protocol. Watch what he does. Jesus stretches out his hand and does what? He touches him. Saying, I will be clean. And the question is, how does Jesus not become unclean? It's because he's God. And God can touch your uncleanness and make you clean while he still remains clean. Hallelujah. This is hope for us. This is hope for us behind masks, behind social distancing. There's a God who can come behind your mask today. I'm not talking about just physical masks. The mask that you're hiding behind spiritually. There's a God who can come and touch your heart and make you clean, beloved. But we're not there yet. We're headed there, but we're not there yet. But listen again, it's Jesus doing for us what we could never do. He comes, He bears our diseases, He takes our illnesses. And how did He do that? By coming flesh. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, becomes flesh and dwells among us and He walks among us and He comes to lepers who are crying out, unclean, unclean, to say, I can make you clean. It's a beautiful moment to reveal to us, right, Matthew, writing to this Jewish audience to say to them, this is God, only God could do this. But the question has to come like, well, that's awesome that he could do that. But you've probably wondered, well, I just wish Jesus was here. Right. And and you, you wish that maybe if Jesus was here, then he could do something. And so Matthew kind of begins to launch a little bit into that as he comes to the next story of healing. That is the centurion service. He begins to show us what is the scope or the range of Jesus' authority and power, specifically as it relates to healing. Pick up as you would begin in verse five of Matthew eight. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. So he comes forward, this centurion, right, who was a Roman officer who was in charge of about a hundred men. Okay, so he has a, he has a place of leadership in the Roman army. He leads about a hundred men. He comes forward. Notice what he's talking about. He has a servant who is lying. And what's the problem here? He's what? He's paralyzed at home, and notice what it says here, suffering terribly. This week, as I heard that, I had to think, man, if a centurion who is a Roman officer, I'm sure he's seen much of blood and war and, and, and awful things. He's not coming in talking about, about a hangnail. 
And when he says somebody's suffering terribly, my assumption is from this, it gives us a glimpse, this must be awful for a Roman soldier, an officer who's seen probably so much to say, he's suffering terribly. And watch what happens here. Again, to see Jesus Jesus is about to let us know that this man who, although maybe not unclean, with the disease is unclean according to the Jewish people because he's a Gentile. He's about to teach God's people something about faith. And if you and I will listen to him, he's going to teach us something as well. Listen to what happens here. It's this unbelievable moment of this Roman officer. Listen to what he says. Verse 7 of Matthew 8. Jesus says to him, I will come and heal him. And watch what happens here. But watch what the centurion replies. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. But listen to this. But only what? But only say the word. This is important. You've got to hear this, right? But only say the word and my servant will be healed. All right, so he says, Jesus, if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. Matthew's trying to show us the scope, the range of Jesus' authority. Watch what happens here. The very next verse, verse 9. Look what he begins with, 4. Right? So he's going to say, why did I say what I just said? Right? The the Roman centurion is about to tell you why he just said, Jesus, you have the authority now, here now, to say, if you say he's healed here, he'll be healed here. Why? For I too am a man under authority. So watch what he's going to do. The centurion is going to use his own authority to make an understanding and faith about who Jesus is and his authority. Watch this. Again, we often read these miracles and wonder, what's the big idea? What's the big deal? It's great, he heals, but there's so much more happening. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. It's this moment, right, where he begins to talk about Jesus' authority. Listen, he notes not only his authority, right? That he says, listen, I've got authority over like these hundred guys and I've got soldiers under me, right? I've even got servants. And when I say they do, they go. When I say go, they come. When I say come, they say get this. When I say get this, they get it. And he says, listen, Jesus, I know that you have that same authority. But the difference between you and me is I'm a centurion over a hundred men. Jesus, your authority is over the whole earth. This is right. Again, you're, you're reading this, wondering these miracles mean more. The centurion is beginning to show us, give us a glimpse of who his Jesus is. Listen to this. Watch this. What happens? This is what Jesus says in verse ten of Matthew eight. When Jesus heard this, he marvelled and said to those who followed him, "Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found what such faith." Right? Why does Jesus say, listen, this guy has such faith like I've not even found in anyone in Israel? Because he says, Jesus, listen, just like my authority is limited in range, your authority is different. Your authority over sickness is not just for those that you can touch here and now, but even those that are way over there. Jesus, your authority is over the entire earth. Right? I mean, it's just unbelievable, right? I mean, because he says, listen to him. Jesus, you say the word here... And he'll be healed there. Why does that? Consider it for a moment. The revelation of Jesus' miracles show us that he has power over sickness and that his authority is not limited by being present. Now make some application of that for a moment. Maybe right now you're facing a big decision of where to follow God. And you're struggling, right? Lord, I don't know if I can follow you there. 
Today's text reminds us that God has authority here where you are and there where he'll take you. You with me? His authority, his power is not just where you are right here, right? To see the same God in Allendale is the same God in Africa. Brother Milby, the same God in Black Nats, the same one in Baghdad. He's there. Amen? The same God who's the God of Dubai is the same God who's the God in Denansburg, Billy D. You with me? This is the same God. He has authority here and He'll have authority there. So if God's calling you there, beloved, realize He's got authority there too. You can trust Him. Maybe you think in the midst of this season, if God were just here, if Jesus were just here, He could end all of this political and racial divide. He could end the COVID-19 right now. I want you to know one day, beloved, He will. But I don't want you to stop believing that He has the authority and power to do it now. This text reminds us just because He's not here doesn't mean He doesn't have authority here, right? Just because we don't see Him physically present in this moment, He has authority and power now to heal. And guess what? He might just use you to be a part of it. He might use you to go and have hard conversations. He might use you to go and love and pray for enemies across political or racial lines. He may use you to pray for that sick person that you love, whether they're a family member or a friend, calling upon Jesus' authority in heaven and earth to heal them. Some of you may indeed be that doctor, that nurse, that pharmacist or healthcare worker. But you may also be the janitor that helps clean and keep things ready. You'd be the maintenance person that keeps the hospital, that doctor office running. Listen, all of you working together by the power of God, God is using you, your care, your love, your instruments, your prescribed medication to heal. Why? Because He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Hallelujah. See, the miracles are revealing to us more about who Jesus is than maybe I think when we begin to just to scratch at the surface. We've got to go deeper. Maybe you see this revelation of Jesus' identity and now you wonder, well, why doesn't he do more of this now then? If he has that authority, if he has that kind of power, then why aren't we seeing more of it? And what else might his Jesus be revealing unto us? And I think that brings us to our second point. The miracle served to display to us his path of restoration. So not only they a revelation of Jesus' identity, right, that he has all authority not only in, right where he is, but anywhere, all authority in heaven and earth, as he tells us in Matthew 28, But secondly, the miracle served to display to us his path of restoration. When we come to the third healing account, listen, it's like one of them doesn't seem like the other two. Right again, I mean, I'm just guessing today if I said, hey, listen, you got three options. You can have leprosy. You can be paralyzed, lame, suffering terribly. Or third, you can be sick in the bed with a fever. My guess is you're probably choosing which one. I'm choosing door number three, okay? I don't know which one you're choosing, but I'm choosing door number three. We don't know. Scholars are not certain. It's possible that Peter's mother-in-law has malaria. We just don't know. But nonetheless, compared to the other two, right, even at malaria, as bad as that may be, you're still choosing that. And I think, listen, I think when we see it and we wonder, well, it doesn't seem like maybe this miracle is as impressive. I think it does something for us that we can't rush by and begins to show us this path of restoration that God is on. Because I think when we ask those questions like, God, don't you see, don't you care? Don't you care what's happening on earth and in my life? I mean, I think we often think that, of course, he cares about the big stuff. Right? Like, I mean, you assume that he cares about someone that has cancer or is going through a really hardship or someone in their family that died or, I mean, like something really bad. But then you wonder, like, does he really care about my back problems? 
You wonder, like, does he care about that stomach of yours that just can't stay settled and you just deal with those issues? You wonder, like, does he really care about my diagnosis? They just can't seem to pinpoint and figure out exactly what he... I mean, I know it's not nothing compared to what other people have. I know that, but, like, it's... God, I'm just wondering, do you, do you see me? Do you care about me? And this story says to you and me, yes, he does. And there is coming a day when he will do for you what he has done for them if you are in Christ. So you need to come closer beloved for a moment let's come closer and let's walk with jesus just for a moment as he walks into peter's mother-in-law there lying sick in the bed listen to what it says beginning verse 14 here in matthew 8 and when jesus entered peter's house he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever he touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him i think in this verse we get two glimpses in these verses we give a glimpse of God's love and care for us. But listen to what it says about Jesus. I think this is a beautiful moment that I often struggle with. Can you imagine being Jesus? You've just healed and done all this. You've preached this powerful sermon, right? People are coming and going. I mean, he's been healing all these people at the start of Matthew 5, right? End of Matthew 4. I mean, all these healings. You've just battled the temptation, the wilderness. I mean, like, man, just give me a moment, right? I mean, we just, I don't know about you. You just get so busy. Like, you just, you talk to people, but you really don't listen to what they have to say. I mean, I'm guilty of it. Emily's like, Tom's like, Blake, pay attention. I'm like, you're right. And watch what Jesus does, man. It's striking. And when Jesus entered the house, what did he do? He saw her, didn't he? And we think again, surely he sees the leprous person. He hears them crying out unclean. We think surely he has to hear and see about someone that's paralyzed and suffering terribly. But somebody that's just in the bed sick with a fever. I mean, like, come on, you'll be all right. But Jesus sees her. And he sees you, beloved. He sees that, what you're battling. Look what it says here. He sees her. He doesn't overlook it. Look, he comes near to her. Listen, he responds to what he sees. And notice what he does again. He touches her the second time, right? He touched the leper. Now he's touching her, right? It's not accidental because of what he's going to say here as we come to verse 17 of Matthew. We might term this, listen, a smaller miracle, but it reveals what God plans to do with all of our sicknesses and hurts. That someday, just what he did for Peter's mother-in-law, he will do for all those who are in Christ. But that means, beloved, that unless he returns, you're going to experience suffering and you will die. But again, there's a path of restoration. And how do we know that? Well, he brought that about a little bit back in the story of the centurion. Remember, the centurion says, Lord, listen, I, man, you just say the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus says in verse 10, I, listen, I, I've not seen anybody's faith like this in all of Israel. And then he says these words in verse 11. Look what he is. He's looking forward to this path of restoration of what he's going to do ultimately. I tell you, he says, many will come. I got a question about who those many are. We're going to see them in a moment. Many will come from east and west and recline at table, right? So if you've been reading, right, I know many are interested in the book of Revelation. This is speaking of Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb, looking forward. Why? Look what he says here, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the founding fathers of our faith, right? The patriarchs. And notice where he says it is. It's in where? The kingdom of heaven, right? 
there's this moment. He says, listen, many will come. And he's talking about Gentiles. Why? Because he's going to, in the very next verse, he's talking about the sons of the kingdom who are the Jewish people. He's saying these many, these Gentiles, just like this Roman officer, are going to come into the kingdom. And how do they come into the kingdom? Just the same way that you and I come into the kingdom. By grace, through faith in Christ alone. Amen? There's no other way to come into the kingdom. Listen, just like that leper was unclean because of his physical ailment, so also are Gentiles, according to the Jewish people. And they're so unclean that you know what? The Jewish people won't even eat with the Gentiles. We see it happening in the New Testament, right? Galatians 2. That's even Peter struggling with that post-Pentecost. What's Jesus saying here? Notice what he says. Many will come from east and west and recline at what? At the table. You see, it's Christ who unites Jew and Gentile. It is Jesus Christ who unites white and black, red and yellow. It is Jesus Christ who unites Democrat and Republican. It is only Jesus Christ who can unite you and your bride, you and your family, this church, this community. Do you believe it, church? That is who He is. And one day, beloved, there is coming a day. When all of God's children, red and yellow, black and white, whether it's, again, whether it's in Dubai or Denansburg, all who have repented and believed upon Jesus Christ will come to the table. It is a hope. It's a beautiful moment. As Christian rapper Shylin says, those before Jesus' death were saved on credit. Those of us who have believed on Jesus after His death were saved on debit. We have come to faith just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it also gives us this glimpse of what God's plan of restoration is. That what began in the Garden of Eden was lost there and the sin and the curse is now entered the picture. One day will no longer be because of Christ. There's hope. God isn't sitting idly by. He is, listen, no, in just a brief touch, He heals the leper. In just a brief touch, He heals Peter's mother-in-law. In just a word, Go! He heals the servant, the centurion. Jesus' miracles display to us the restoration that is to come for all who are in Christ. But again, it takes faith, beloved, because you may not get your healing here and now. There is a gospel that people preach that says if you pray this, if you believe this, if you'll give this, you can have your healing. Beloved, there is only healing in the name of Jesus Christ. And just because God may not say, I will be clean to your daddy or even unto you, does not mean that he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that he's not good. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't see and care. It just means the healing is not yet for those of us that are in Christ. But one day, there's, that touch is coming, beloved. For those who have already died in Christ, that, that touch has come. And the full resurrection body is still yet. Hallelujah. The church ought to be excited today in our hope of that. But listen, beloved, there is good news. But if there's good news, that means there's also what? Bad news. And so it is in verse 12. So again, many will come, even unclean people like this Gentile centurion Roman soldier. While the sons of the kingdom. The sons of the kingdom? Yeah. Yeah. Those that have and know the stories about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those who know how to pray the prayers. Those, right, who are monotheists. They believe in one God only. They believe in the one true God. It's those. They're thrown, look what he says, into the outer darkness. In that place, Jesus defines it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word gnashing indicates that 
pain, right? Have you, have you had moments where you've been in such pain, like you just had to bear down as hard as you could to try to endure that pain? Jesus defines the outer darkness. He's speaking of hell as this place of eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the terrifying statement is the sons of the kingdom will be there. Beloved, you can know the stories. You can sing Father Abraham, but I want to know, are you truly a son and daughter of Abraham? If so, it is only by faith in the Son of God who bled and died and gave His life for you on the cross, taking your sin and shame. It's the only hope of the Gospel. Listen, this is beautiful moment of just sharing this hope of healing. Yes, we desire to be restored physically, but I think Jesus is showing us something greater by the miracles. There's something greater than physical healing. It's the spiritual healing of your heart. That's the greatest. And today, if you will repent and believe, listen, you can experience the greater healing, beloved. There's something greater than physical restoration. It is the work of Christ. Practically, I think we need to ask here, well, how do we seek restoration? And I think what we see from Jesus here with the Roman centurion is this is in his servants a reminder of this. Jesus' goal is never just to meet physical needs. It was always something more, right? I mean, listen, I think you individually and us as a church collectively, we need to think about how do we do missions and outreach? Is the gospel the center of it? As you think even about your Sunday school class, like it's a great season, right? I mean, it, it, as hard as this season is, what an opportunity to refocus and say, man, is the thrust of what we do as a church, or is the thrust of what you do individually in your life, is it centered upon the gospel? Listen, I mean, it can't just be food. It can't just be a mission trip or a mission project. It can't just be us helping with rent, utility, or medical bills. I praise the Lord for all of those things, beloved. But we have to remind ourselves, and I have to remind myself regularly, listen, it's not just enough for me to walk out and tell people, hey, I'm praying for you. Jesus loves you. How are you doing? I've got to come to the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that will save. I'm not saying those things are bad things. Don't hear mishear. Those are good things, but we've got to ask, what is our why? Is it just to feed? Is it just to go? Is it just to do? Because that's a good thing? Or are we ultimately trying to seek after the greater thing, their hearts and them entering God's kingdom with us? That must be our focus. That must be our intentionality is to share the gospel and to call out for others to repent and believe. So listen right now. I want to ask maybe who have you shared the gospel with this past week or recently? Man, listen, there's always going to be reasons why we can't share the gospel. Right now it may just be a mask or social distancing, but listen, at some point, and we know before this it was always something else. Something else will take its place. And there's always going to be, if, you, if we're looking for a reason or excuse, it's always going to be there. So we've got to find ways to push beyond this to say, Lord, I want to focus my life on living and sharing the gospel. So listen, the miracles are revelation of Jesus' true identity. Secondly, they served as this path of restoration. Again, what he did for them one day for us in faith, he will do for us. This greater restoration. And third and last, it shows to us this. The miracles show us how Christ will redeem us. Again, there's, there's more to the miracles, right? There's revelation, there's restoration, and thirdly, we see there's redemption. The miracles show us how Christ will redeem us. Look back, let me would again, the story of the leper is Matthew 8 open. 
So Jesus says to him, verse 3, I will be clean. And then he says, verse 4, Matthew 8. Jesus says to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that who commanded? Moses commanded for a proof to them. I think two things are revealed here by this pattern of redemption. One is this. Just as this man couldn't make himself clean, you can't make yourself clean either. This man couldn't make himself clean. And guess what? You can't make yourself clean either. And in fact, Paul says that you and I are worse off than having a disease. In Ephesians 2 and 1, he says that we are dead in trespasses and sins. I mean, this man may have hope that someday, right, something might change or it might go away. Or there might come through a healing. But, but a dead man, a dead man got no hope. Unless Christ shows up, the man who raises the dead, hallelujah. The resurrection and the life. I mean, this, this, this Jesus steps into this hopeless of hopeless situations and restores this leper to say to you and to me today, I don't care how hopeless your situation is, how far gone you are, how dirty you think you are. I want you to know there's a God who still touches the unclean and makes them clean. Are you with me today? It's the hope of this blessed gospel, beloved. It is the good news, this path of redemption. He comes to our hopeless situation that's even more hopeless than the leper. And He comes to us who are dead in our sin. And by faith, by the grace, through faith and the power of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, we too come out of darkness and step into the light. What hope. Secondly, I think Jesus shows that he fulfills and the law points to him. Notice again that Jesus sends the leper off to show to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded. I think it's interesting here that Jesus shows us the law finds its true fulfillment in his coming. I mean, the law was there to show us the way to God, but no one could perfectly walk that path. In fact, the law instead became, as Paul said to us, it's almost like a death sentence. No one can keep that up perfectly. You'll never be good enough today. If you're trying to be good enough to earn your way, you will never be good enough. For the law demands perfection and holiness. You'll never achieve it on your own. So Christ has to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. If you're here today, and again, you're striving to be good enough, listen, beloved, I want to compel you. Think about this. For you to go to God and act like you're clean today, like you don't have any sin, would be as just as crazy for that leper to walk before the priest and say, I'm clean with the leprosy all over his hands. You see it. I mean, if you try to go to God today as you are, thinking that you're fine in and of yourself, it is going to be like that leper standing before the priest saying, I'm clean with the leprosy consuming his body. Beloved, there's only one way to be clean in his presence. It is the precious blood of God's only son today. Would you repent and believe today? Would you trust in him? So listen, Jesus, though, remember back in Matthew 5, verse 20, Jesus says to the, those religious leaders, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but instead to what? Fulfill them. So he fulfills the laws. He shows us here. But as Matthew comes to a close in this section, verses 16 and 17, we see that he also fulfills the hope of the prophets. Look at me if you would. Remember, Jesus has just healed Peter's mother-in-law. She's restored to health. And it says that evening, verse 16 of Matthew 8, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word. And then this statement here, it may seem small, but I think it's important just for a moment. And it says, he healed all who were sick. Notice that there's a distinction made by Matthew here. 
He's saying, listen, that not all sicknesses have demonic or satanic origins. Do you see that? There's a separation between the demon possession, the casting out of spirits, and then the healing of those who were sick. So I think we need to be careful every time when we assume, well, obviously, right, there must be something of Satan working here. It's not always the case. Furthermore, as John 9 shows us, right, it's not always the case that if something happens to us because we've sinned, right? Jesus says neither this man nor his parents sinned, but he was born this way that the what? The glory of God might be revealed in and through him. But I think this healing here of the three reminds us again of what Jesus is doing to the multitudes. He's just bringing about this healing. And so look what it says there, verse 17. This, speaking of the healings, was to fulfill, right? So now we have fulfillment, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And watch what happens here. This begins to show you this plan of how God ultimately redeems us. There's something more happening at the miracles. Matthew's showing us here. Watch what happens. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Matthew is citing Isaiah 53 and 4. That he he took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. And he's saying to the Jewish people that Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He's the one that's come. Right. And the question is, well, how does he heal them? Look what it says again. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. The word took indicates to take it and carry it away. The word bear means to take it upon himself. Now, listen, if you've read Isaiah 53, you know, it's something more than just sickness that God is after. It's not just your physical sickness that he's taking upon himself. He's bearing, beloved, the curse and the weight of the cross The Son of God is dying in your place on the cross as your substitute. He is bearing the weight of your sin, the judgment of God towards you. It is the cross, Jesus dying in your place. It's the hope of the gospel. These miracles are showing to us that there is one who can fulfill, yes, to heal and take on our diseases, but something so much greater. The brokenness of your sin, beloved. You can be made whole today, redeemed and restored. He experiences death in your place. It is this hope of the gospel. Now listen, I I would be excited today if I could sit here and offer physical healing to you. Some of you, again, I know you're struggling physically with things. You have been struggling. If I I, today, if I could bring a healing to COVID-19 and eliminate fears and anxieties and worries about what is and what might be, But beloved, I want to let you know I got joy today because I got something even greater than that. There is a hope. There is a healer. His name is Jesus Christ, the one true living God. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the Messiah, the Savior, and He can deliver you today. Would you repent and believe on Him? See, to this miracle worker, right? Some people get caught up in the miracles. And Jesus says, you coming back just because you saw the miracles? You got fed yesterday, you 5,000. You just want some more Hebrew happy meals? Or do you want the true bread that lasts forever? Do you want the living water that will flow within you? You see, as we consider this in light of Jesus' example, I think that Jesus shows us that instead of running away, we have to run toward. And that's hard in a season like this. Racially, politically, it's easier just to draw back. 
find folks that believe like you do, that will talk about those people like you will. But I've seen some faithful brothers, and I know sisters that are willing to step across to go and pursue unity and peace and harmony and healing. Hallelujah! When I see that, it's an example discipling me. Listen, for others of you, I don't know, again, what it's going to look like, and I'm not saying, listen, the proverb says, the prudent see danger and take refuge, and the naive keep going and suffer for it. So you may go in your mask and your gloves, but listen, some of you have got to go and pursue because you've got neighbors right now that are deep in depression and anxiety and fear and worry. You've got people that in your own families who maybe have lost jobs and they have uncertainty about bills. Listen, the temptation might be to draw back, but Jesus' example to us, beloved, is not one of drawing back. It is one of extending His arms wide. Will you go? Instead of running away in this hard season, will you go forward? That's why the Christians, Jesus said, shine like a city, what? On a hill. It's time to be the salt of the earth, beloved. Listen, people are like despairing. I'm like, this is the greatest opportunity the church has had in my lifetime. What an opportunity to have hope and joy and peace. I don't know what's going to happen politically. I don't know what's going to happen racially. I don't know what's going to happen economically. I don't know what's going to happen with health-wise. But one thing I do know is my sovereign God is still on the throne. And He says, listen, guess what? The world may be against you, but if I be for you, who can be against you, beloved? Do you not believe Romans 8 and 28? We cite it. For God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. That means that right now in the midst of this season, He's working it for your good if you were in Christ. Look up. Look into Him. Man, God's Word is good. Amen? It is good. It is good. It was January 8th, 1956, that a man by the name of Jim Elliott and four others believed that God's Word was so good that they and their families would intentionally go. They've already been there living in Ecuador but they're going to intentionally go and try to reach the Wadani. It is on that day, their January 8th, 1956, as they approach the Wadani, that those men tragically lose their lives. And I'll just be honest, that was me. I tell my wife and kids to run. But Elizabeth Elliot and some of those other ladies, they don't run. They believe that these scriptures are not people that run. They believe that their Messiah is not one that ran from people, but to them. And so instead of running, they continue to minister and ultimately they will go and live amongst the Wadani and share the hope of the gospel with them, seeing many of them repent and believe. I share that with you to let you know, beloved, that it's not just in the pages of scriptures. God has always had his faithful people that don't run from trouble, but run to trouble. So where's God calling you? It's time. These miracles mean more. It is the power of God's Spirit in you to bring about the hope of redemption. Today, has it been revealed unto you that Jesus Christ is the true Son of God? Today, beloved, do these miracles show you the hope of restoration that your heart now? Listen, you were came in here despondent and despaired, beat down, but you, because of Christ, have hope today that there is restoration that's coming. It may not come for you in this life. It may not come for those that you love, but you've got hope and joy that there is a kingdom that is not of this world. Hallelujah. Finally, beloved, are you resting right now in the weight of your own sin? There's one who came to take and bear that sin, to set you free, to deliver you.
today. If you would repent and believe as Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, repent and believe that you may have the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Today, would you repent of your sins, turning from your way, looking unto Christ, believing upon the gospel that you might be saved. Beloved, the miracles mean more. Amen? They mean more. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, the only true Son of God and Messiah, Lord, we hope and trust in You alone. Strengthen now, God, Your church. God, I pray today that You will strengthen brothers and sisters, Lord God. Instead of running away, I pray they will run toward the lostness in their families, the lostness in our communities. God, I pray they will run toward, just as Jesus did, the brokenness. Lord, I pray that is not with foolishness and and reckless abandonment, But in prudency, Lord God, they would approach the sick, the hurting. And that they would share not just healing for here and now. But God, they would share the hope of the gospel that is Jesus Christ. God, keep this church unified. It's a hard season, Lord. We pray not only for this church, but for all churches. What a hard season. Father, would you sustain us? I pray now, God, I... Today is preaching this gospel. I feel such a love in my heart toward these people whom you have raised up as my brothers and sisters. Lord, I just want to say hallelujah to that, to the work of God in your grace. Father, I pray now that you will heal marriages. God, I pray today that you will restore relationships. I pray today that you will birth forgiveness in the heart of people. Lord, I pray today that you will rebirth and reignite our focus of why are we doing what we do? Is it intentionally to share the gospel? Are we just a good organization? Lord, I pray that we are people who help, but we help the most by pointing them to the one true helper, Jesus. Please help us, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.